listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. God is good. And all the time. Praise God from whom all blessing flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. What a blessing it is to be the pastor of this church. This is my 520th Sunday being your pastor, and I praise God for that. Those of you watching online, thank you so much for joining us today, and I would invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning, Galatians chapter 6, and in a moment we're going to be in verse number 6. I do want us to be praying for the nation of Lebanon. Uh, As you know, uh, we are closely connected with some partnerships in the Middle East, and uh, we are not connected in Lebanon, but I have some connections and some partnerships there, and we do through uh, the Southern Baptist Convention in the the country of Lebanon, and as you know about the explosion that happened in Beirut, uh, the only church that we know, uh, there was only one church that we know that was damaged, it's completely destroyed, a few others had some windows blown out, but we want to pray for the believers in Lebanon, and Lebanon actually has a very strong uh, Christian community. Uh, but yet, uh, there are many in that nation who do not know Christ as Savior. So we're going to be praying for them this morning, and then we're going to jump into the text. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your faithfulness, your mercy, and your goodness. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being the pastor of this magnificent church. And God, I pray this morning, those watching online, those that are going to listen on the radio today, God, that you would bless them, Lord, that the, the Word of God would do way more than we could ask or think. But Lord, we want to pray for the believers uh, in Lebanon, we want to pray, God, for those in Lebanon who were affected by that great explosion. And God, we pray for wisdom and dealing with that situation. We pray, God, that it would be a, a catapult for the gospel to just go further and greater in that country. Father, what we have not give us. Father, what we know not teach us. And what we are not make us. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 6. Just to get you standing, let's stand and read God's word. Galatians 6. Verse number 6, so glad to see you this morning. Galatians 6, verse 6, Paul writes, One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Did you know, you may be seated. (laughs) Did you know that $5.1 trillion is spent or or, or has been, is uh, is traded every day on the United States stock market on average? $5.1 trillion. Those of you, maybe you are investors or maybe you're not, uh, maybe your 401k is involved in the market, but, that, but that there are different strategies when it comes to investing. There are conservative strategies and there are aggressive strategies or long-term strategies and short-term strategies. So in December of 1980, if you were alive then, if you would have bought just one share of Apple for $22, today you would have 56 shares and that would be worth $14,896. If in 1980 you bought $100, if you made a $100 investment in Apple, you would today have in shares $67,564. That's how much it would be. If in 1980 you would have invested $10,000, what do you think it would be? Well, here's what it would be. It would be worth $6.7 million. 
Now, I'm sure very few of you did that. Maybe none of you did that. But if any of you did do that, let's talk after church. I would love to talk to you. But I want you to think about that. You, you, you imagine, can you just imagine the amount of patience it would be to hold on to a $10,000 investment for 40 years in one company? Many of us, when we think of Apple, we think of the iPhone. But pre-iPhone, the Apple stock went up and down and up and down. And so the amount of patience it would be to hold on to that stock would just be incredible. But yet, it would pay off. Well, over the past 20 years, there's a strategy that's kind of become famous and well-known. It's a strategy for investing called day trading. Day trading is when you buy or sell stocks within a single day or a few days or hours or minutes. And what day traders typically do is they make moves based on the market that day to get the best return on their money. One famous economist said that day trading is more like gambling than it is investing. Day trading looks at the temporary and the now. It's about instant gratification. It's about quick wins and quick outs. A recent analysis that was done by a major firm found that 80% of day traders lose more money than they trade over the course of one year with the average loss of being 36.3%. You think about that. If you put $100 in, at the end of the year, if you're a day trader, the, the typical average for at least 80% is to lose $36.30. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is that this illustration, this thought of day trading is going to serve as a backdrop as we think through these next few weeks and we look at this idea of what it means to truly invest in the kingdom of God. Because I'm, I'm afraid that many of us, when it comes to the things of life, many of us are day traders. People day trade their time, their relationships, their money, and even their walk with God for a quick win, for instant gratification, for the temporary here and now. And many people have no long-term commitments. And most people, sadly, because of this, end up losing in the end. And so this morning, we're in the book of Galatians. And Paul here is ending the book, giving a warning and a universal principle to the church. Many of you are very familiar with this principle, that you reap what you sow. And in, in doing so, uh, Paul here is not teaching karma. He's not teaching that if you do good things, that good things come to you. Or if you do bad things, bad things come to you. He's not talking about having good karma, or is he talking about bad karma? He's talking about something, and he's reminding believers of something that they know is true, that God built into the principle, uh, built into the fabric of the universe, and that is you reap what you sow. And so this morning, as we look into this text, I want us to see two things. One is we're going to learn about the deception of day trading, and two, the principles of investing. So a lot of material to cover. I'm going to talk really quick. Hopefully, we'll be able to understand some of it. If not, go listen again on the podcast, and it'll help you sleep this afternoon. First, the deception of day trading. In verse number seven, Paul says, do not be deceived. The deception he's talking about is the deception of, of people believing that they were right when actually they were wrong. There were false teachers that were coming into the churches of Galatia and they were teaching one thing and trying to get the believers to believe one thing and the believers actually did believe it, but yet what they were believing was wrong. And so what Paul here is warning about is false, is having false beliefs. There is nothing more dangerous than thinking you're right when you're actually wrong, especially when it comes to God. There's nothing more dangerous than that. So here Paul says, do not be deceived. Do not be taken, away. Do not be taken aback. Why? Because God is not mocked. Now, there is a way that you and I can walk in deception, believing that we're honoring God and serving God, but instead we're actually mocking God. That's what he's saying. Don't be deceived thinking you're honoring God. Be careful because you may actually be mocking God. Now, for the Galatians, what were they following? They were following this idea, this system of beliefs called legalism, in which they believed that they could earn God's favor and earn God's approval by being a good person. 
But yet, when they were doing that, when they were believing that, they were essentially saying to God, God, I don't really need Jesus because I'm all I need. I don't need the cross because I'm all I need. And I don't need the resurrection because I'm all I need. And instead of honoring God, thinking they could be their own Savior, they were actually mocking God and what God did to save them. Now, what is the deception of our day? Well, in Paul's day, it was legalism, and we still deal with legalism because the natural default mode of the human heart is to be your own savior, is self-justification. But in our day, the, the deception is radical individualism and consumerism. And this is the theme that's constantly being uh, taught in, in, our, in our society, in our culture, through social media, through the television, and through the world. And here's the theme, is that life is ultimately about you. That's what's being taught today, that it's about your happiness, your satisfaction, your gratification, your consumption, and your own self-expression. And so what we have here is both legalism and radical individualism, which are really two sides of the same coin of me, because both of them put self at the center rather than God. What radical individualism says is essentially this, maybe non-verbally, that I am the center of the story that I am the point of everything, that my comfort is the priority above everyone else's, my happiness overrides everything, I know what's best for me, my way is better, my will is supreme. That is what you're hearing. Now you say, Pastor, I'm not hearing thoughts like that. I don't, I don't ever hear slogans like that. I mean, how would you sell stuff by telling everybody that your will is supreme? Well, have you ever ate at Burger King? What do they say? Have it, have it your way. There's other slogans that you hear out in society. It's subtle. See, that's what Satan does. That's what false teachers do is they do it real subtly. So they'll have slogans like this, you be you, or be true to yourself, or follow your heart, or find yourself. And, and what you see when you listen to all these slogans, the common denominator is who? It's me. And so in our world, reality is defined by what you define it to be, that it is your truth. And therefore, in our society, in our culture, the greatest and highest good is your own personal freedom, your own personal happiness, your own self-definition, and your own self-expression. Today, salvation in our world is finding out who you are and expressing that to other people. So what happens is when you become the center of everything, it changes all your relationships. So in our self-centered, self-absorbed, radical, individualized culture, marriage is not about holiness. It's not about sanctification. It's not about finding someone that you can sacrificially love and serve and honor. Marriage, however, is about finding a soulmate to complete you and that they are there to make you happy. And so you will be with them until they make you unhappy and then you will find somebody else to make you happy. We even see this play out in friendship. That friendship is no longer about mutually serving and mutually having interest in which you love each other and help each other, but friendship is now an avenue for mutual self-fulfillment where we use people to get what we want. And the sad reality of it is, is that even many in our day think that they are honoring God by making everything about them, by being true to themselves, but in reality, they're mocking God because they made themselves the center of the universe. Sociologist Robert Bella in his book, which has had multiple editions, The Habits of the Heart, said this. He says, we believe, this is culture, we believe in the dignity, indeed the sacredness of the individual. Anything that would violate 
our right to think for ourselves, judge for ourselves, make our own decisions, live our lives as we see fit is not only morally wrong, it's sacrilegious. Now, let me explain what he's saying. He said, in our day, finding out who you are and expressing who you are and defining who you are is the, mo- is the ultimate thing in life. And so anyone who makes any decisions for you, restricts any way that you think for yourself, tells you how you are to live, is not only morally wrong, but it is sacrilegious. It's religiously wrong. He goes on, he says, our highest and noblest aspirations, not only for ourselves, but for those we care about, for our society and for the world, are closely linked to our individualism. That is, it's all about me. And if you interfere with me, we got a problem. That's the world. That's the culture. That's the mindset of our day. And what happened in Paul's day is that legalism, which says you are right with God on the basis of what you do, it leaked into the church. And so radical individualism has also leaked into the church. Because what people do is they don't lose their religiosity Why? Because man is incurably religious. What we do is we adapt our religiosity to fit something that helps us pursue our own self-exaltation and own self-fulfillment. See, the reason that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden wasn't because of the fruit. It's because in that moment, they wanted to be God themselves. And the same is true to this day. James K.A. Smith An African-American philosopher says that in our current age of radical individualism, the non-verbalized thought is this, the religious life or practice that I become a part of must not only be my choice, but it must speak to me. In other words, it's not just something that I choose, but whenever I choose it, it must fulfill me. It must make sense in terms of my spiritual development that I understand. It's all going to be about me. So if I'm going to go to church, it's all going to be about me. I got to have my needs met. I got to have my preferences felt. I got to have my thoughts expressed. I need to be living in an echo chamber of people that think like I do and talk like I do and, and live like I do. And Trevin Wax goes on and he talks about this and he says, anything that gets in the way of self-exaltation or self-fulfillment in our culture is a problem. That means that any universal or binding ethic, morals that are absolute, truths that are transcendent in our culture must fall down before the idol of almighty me. Don't tell me about the Bible. This is what I believe. Don't tell me what's true. This is what I think is true because God may still be present, but me is on the throne. You say, well, Pastor, I, I don't, what are you talking about? You're just going into some sort of rant. No, listen, this is the mantra of our day. There's a recent study that was done by Pew Research. Maybe some of you have heard of Barna, and, I, and there's sometimes I'll quote Barna, but Barna is chicken little. That is, he sees everything as the sky is falling. But when Pew Research, and not all, listen, statistics and, and analysis may, may vary from different times, but, but they did a, a survey of evangelical Christians, real regular attending Christians, and they asked them, What is the highest goal in life? 66% of Christians, born again, evangelical, regularly church-attending believers, 66% of them said, enjoying yourself is the highest goal in life. So how this plays out in church is this. I will go to a church, I will attend a church that gets behind my life choices and gets behind my pursuits. And if they get behind me, I get behind them, and they're a great church. But if that church ever challenges my behaviors, ever challenges my beliefs, or ever challenges my attitudes, they're no longer a great church, and therefore I must go find another church or another religion that meets my standards and helps me pursue my happiness. 
And so what we have done, and, and this is it's happened in a gradual way, to now you have 21st century modern evangelical Christianity in which Christianity is the only religion that's not about me. And we've changed it. Think about that. Christianity is the only religion that's not about me. Buddhism is about me finding my inner peace, my inner person. Islam is about me finding my way to paradise and, and, and appeasing Allah. Judaism is about me finding my own path. Hinduism is about me finding my way to nirvana. Spirituality, new age spirituality is all about my own self-satisfaction, my own self-expression, and my own self-justification. It's all about me. The difference between Christianity and all other religions is that Christianity is not about me. Christianity is about the exaltation of Christ and the community of the believers. And so, as the great theologian Dr. Craig Bell recently said to me, he said, sadly, we have taken the only religion that ultimately is not about me, and we've made it all about me. We do this in the songs that we sing. We do this in the sermons that we hear. We do this in the decor. We do this in all the preference, and we've made it all about me. And Christianity was never about you. It's always been about him. And we think it honors God. But it actually mocks God because of the deception that we've made everything in the world revolve around us. And we think, well, that makes God happy because God's happiness is my happiness. Where do you read that in the Bible? That doesn't honor God. It mocks God. And so with that being said, I want to share with you now the principles of investing. So we've got almost like two different sermons here. The first is the, de the deception of day trading, this idea that I'm going to live for me for the quick hit, for the instant gratification, the here and now, not the later on. But then Paul's going to give this universal truth. He's warning, but he's also giving a principle here. And, and, and within this, there, I'm going to show you at least three laws that we learn in investing based on this agricultural analogy of reaping what you sow. The first is this. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. That is, what you sow is what will grow. This happens in agriculture, that if you sow a seed in normal plant life, that's what you're going to grow. Why is that? Because God has woven that into the fabric of the universe. So if I have a tomato seed, if I have tomato seeds and I plant them, what should I expect to grow? I mean, unless they came in a package from China, <laughs> they're supposed to grow tomatoes, right? Not oranges, not avocados, not oregano. Tomatoes. If you plant tomato seeds, you will get tomatoes. You can't plant one thing and expect something else to come up. So that's why Paul says, be careful what you plant. So in verse number 8, he says, if one sows to his flesh, he will from the flesh reap corruption. Sowing to the flesh is doing what pleases your flesh, what pleases you, what's all about you. So our sin nature is the part of our heart that wants to be in control of our lives by being our own Savior and our own Lord. And that's the deception of our day. The deception of radical individualism and consumerism is 
essentially sowing seeds to the flesh, living all for myself and my pleasure and my wants and making me the center of the universe. And what happens is, is that when you and I make ourselves, our desires, our self-expression, the center of the universe, and we sow seeds only for ourselves, what do we get? He says, the result is corruption. The word corruption here can be defined, uh, can be also translated as destruction or disintegration or decay. Sin makes things fall apart. Now, let's just think about this in, in normal thinking through this. If you sow poorly, you will reap poorly. If you eat fatty foods, you'll have a bad heart, and you may have a heart attack. If you eat a lot of sugar, you'll have rotten teeth. So the same is true with that, right? So in other words, if you give into your sin nature, you will reap spiritual breakdown and destruction. So what Paul is saying here is this, is you cannot sow seeds of the flesh, radical individualism, consumerism, and expect God to give you crop failure. Paul in chapter 5 in verse 19 is going to give a list, a nasty list of what the flesh can do. Because if you sow seeds to the flesh, if you're putting everything in the flesh, here's what you're going to get out of it. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, and sexual perversion. So here's the deal, guys. If you and I, as believers or as a church, for years have sown seeds to the flesh then we should not be surprised the harvest we're getting. Think about an American culture. Think about an American society. We have for years said everything is about you. You find your way. Have it your way. Live your life. Live your best life now. And, and, and we're, we should not be surprised that the next generation doesn't have a clue who God is. We shouldn't be surprised that marriages are falling apart, that injustice and greed and division and racism are abounding. We should not be surprised in the, in the increase of teenage suicides and sexual abuse. We shouldn't be surprised at the sexual perversion and the gender confusion, the hypocrisy and the self-absorbed nipwits of our day. We shouldn't be surprised that people are finding their identity in a political party and people are constantly church hopping and church shopping. All of these are a result of us being deceived, believing that we can sow destructive seeds to the flesh and God will give a crop failure. That doesn't happen. But what Paul says is this, is that if you sow to the Spirit the things of God, if you follow the Word of God and obey out of a heart of grateful joy that comes from knowing you are a child of God, not for acceptance, but out of acceptance, you will reap what? Eternal life. Now, somebody, I, somebody said, you know, eternal life starts when you're dead. How does that work? If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, if you are saved, you don't just die to get eternal life. You have eternal life right now. And that eternal life that God wants to give you is to enjoy Him now and forever. And so when you follow the things of God and pursue the ways of God and follow the Word of God, you'll have an abundant life. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy, but I've come to give life and life more abundant. When you follow the Word of God and follow the Spirit of God, you will produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And when you are obedient to what God wants in your life, you'll see a spiritual harvest. You'll see lives being changed. You'll see families being healed. You'll see communities being restored. You'll see cities being reached. You'll see the nations coming to God. And all of those things are things that money cannot buy and death cannot take away. 
So what Paul is saying here is this, what you sow is what you reap, so you better think about what you're sowing. But here's the other part. Not only will you reap what you sow, but the harvest will be greater than what you sow. So what starts small multiplies into something bigger. To reap here, the word to reap, by inference means that you gather more than you planted. So if you plant that tomato seed and you put it in the ground, the harvest will come. And guess what? You'll have not only more than just one seed and more than just one tomato, but hopefully you'll have hundreds of seeds and dozens of tomatoes. If you plant one acorn in the ground, it will produce an oak tree, which will produce thousands of acorns. If you plant a, corn, a kernel of corn and you put it in the ground, it will produce a stock, which hopefully will grow multiple uh, uh, ears of corn, which will have hundreds of kernels in it. And so what you sow starts small, but it grows. Now, here's what I also want you to understand, is that what you feed in your life will grow biggest in your life. So what you spend more time in, what you spend more time focusing on, what you spend more time in your life dwelling on is what's going to grow. And if you sow to the flesh, the desires of the flesh are going to grow bigger. They're going to multiply. If you sow to the things of God, the desires of God are going to multiply. Think about it this way. Just, just Friday, I took my boys. We went to Disney. And uh, I, I'm a cheapo. Uh, if you didn't know that, I'm a cheapo. Uh, every time I walk, I think squeak. You know, I'm just so tight and so cheap. And uh, we, I decided that we were going to splurge and we were going to eat at one of those all-you-can-eat places in Disney for the glory of God and the good of the church, the expansion of the kingdom, all right? So it's just me and the boys. And we go there and I said, listen, guys, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. We're paying a lot of money, so just consider this a ride, okay? This is like a ride at Disney. All right, we're going to take our time. We're going to eat up. So immediately they come out with salad and bread. And, and one of my boys just immediately goes after the bread and said, listen, don't waste your time with that stuff. That's just filler, okay? They're just giving you that junk so you don't eat the good stuff, all right? Because, again, it's all you can eat. Salad comes out. We eat salad. And then they come out with Thanksgiving on steroids Disney style. They had roast beef, they had turkey, they had pork, they had stuffing, they had mashed potatoes sent from heaven, they had green beans, they had this cranberry sauce that nobody eats but I eat, and I thank God because I love it. And there I was, and I said, boys, here it is, here's the feast. And we were eating and eating and eating, and they were like going there, you know, this isn't probably theologically correct, but if you've ever seen The Simpsons, you remember when Homer Simpson would eat at the table, and there they were, and there we were, and there I was. And then I remember to say, listen, boys, get your money's worth. This is it. We ate until we couldn't eat anymore, and then they brought out the dessert that literally I think was something when I get to heaven I hope I can have every day. And there we were, we ate, and I was thinking in the back of my mind, what if I got a second one? Would that be wrong? But all we could do is finish that last one. And there I was, stuffed to the gills. And I thought in my mind, I said, I'm not going to eat anything else for the rest of the day. Have you ever had that? Have you ever been so stuffed? Never going to eat again. Well, I got home that afternoon, and guess what I did? I ate. <laughs> and I think probably now I'm going to have to watch it because I expanded my stomach so big that now I'm going to probably be eating more things. But what happens is, I know it's a stupid illustration, it doesn't make sense, but when you feed something in your life, it doesn't mean the desire goes away. Actually, what I found is the desire grows. 
right? The same is true with sin. When you feed sin in your life and you stuff yourself with sin and following the things of this world and following yourself, it doesn't just fulfill you. What happens is it continues to leave you empty inside. Well, when it comes to the things of God, when you sow to the things of God, it gives you a desire for more of the things of God. So see, it works both ways. So what you grow, what you sow is what you grow, and what you sow will be greater than what you, what you thought it would ever be. It expands because what happens is you sow it, but God multiplies it. You know, some people are waiting for God to multiply what they have before they start doing anything. But what the Bible teaches is that we do, and God multiplies. Think about that in giving. Some people say, you know what, Pastor? I'm going to start giving to the things of God when God blesses my life. And God multiplies. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that we give, and God will multiply our giving. But you know, there's a lot of preachers that will use this text to say, all right, here it is. If you want more money, then you sow and you give a lot of money. Well, that's not necessarily what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach if you sow a seed of faith and give a lot of money to the church, you're going to get rich. All right? That's, that's, that's not Bible. That's a Ponzi scheme, okay? What the Bible does teach is that you can't outgive God, right? And that when we give, and as we give, God may bless us to increase our giving. God, when he blesses you financially, is not necessarily blessing you to increase your standard of living. It may be that he's blessing you to increase your standard of giving, and so as we sow into the things of God and as we serve others, God expands that desire to do that and he expands our capacity to do that. But you know, one of the greatest blessings that God can give you and I is satisfaction. That as we invest in his kingdom, he gives us the ability to be satisfied. Here's the thing. What does it profit you to have all the money, to have all the toys, to have the biggest house, to have all these things, but you're not happy? You're not satisfied. And so what God does is he blesses us, but the harvest that we may reap is satisfaction in, in him. You will reap what you sow. You will reap greater than what you sow. And the last is you will reap later than you sow. It's the law of the later. He says, you will reap. The harvest is inevitable. It's not instantaneous. I mean, think about this in farming. You don't plant one day and the next day have a full crop. You plant in one season and you don't necessarily see a return until the next season. And I'll tell you, as a great theologian, Tom Petty said, waiting is the hardest part. Because in our fast-paced, ever uh, desiring for immediate results and instant gratifications, you and I, especially me, expect things to happen here and now, not later. I mean, we do this in, in simple things. Like, there's some people that go to the gym and they, they say, well, pastor, I worked out one day this week and, and that means that I should uh, take my shirt off and, and look like a Greek god and lose 10 pounds. Well, I mean, it doesn't work that way. You know, some people that uh, get a four-year degree from college in eight years, and they graduate, and they think, well, you know what? I'm going to go out here, and I'm going to get a job, and immediately they're going to pay me $100,000 a year. That doesn't work that way, right? You put the hard work in, but you don't immediately get instant results. So what we have to learn is this, is that what you and I are harvesting today is a result of the seeds we planted yesterday. Where you and I are today is a direct result of what we have sown over time. So the reason that you are the way you are didn't come out of nowhere. It is a result of what you have historically sown in your life. So if your marriage is falling apart, 
It didn't just come out of nowhere. It is a slow faith. If your children are not walking with God, if your children are a train wreck, it's not just something that happened overnight. If you're struggling with addictions or if you're frustrated or lonely or bitter or distant from the Lord, it's because the seeds you have sown, you are now reaping. Now, here's the good news about God. He sometimes gives us mercy. And sometimes what we have sown, we don't fully reap. Now, that's the negative, but here's the positive. If you sow to the things of God, you will reap. He says this in verse number nine. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good. Have you ever got tired of being good? Anybody in the room? I've been tired of being good. I'm tired of it. I've been, I've been, you say, you know what, Pastor? I've been so good. I go to church. I've been giving faithfully. I read my Bible. I pray. I do the right things. And it just seems like things just get worse, not better. And like, I, I know I should be doing these things, and, and there's a desire in me to want to do these things, but there's sometimes I'm just tired of doing them. I'm tired of showing up every day. I'm, I'm tired of uh, being a husband. I'm tired of being a wife. I'm tired of going to church. I'm tired of praying. I'm tired of reading my Bible. I'm tired of working out. I get it. But he says, let us not grow weary in doing good. It's never right to do wrong, and it's never wrong to do right. Let's not grow weary. Why? Let's say this last little phrase together. For in due season, we will reap if we do not, if we don't give up. If we don't give up. In other words, we must embrace the process. You know what God's been teaching me through COVID-19? I can give you a list of things, but here's one big one. Embrace the process. There's joy in the journey. Embrace it. It's different. It's a weird world that we're living in, but we embrace it. And listen, there are so many people that have done so much good, but then they give up before they actually get to see what they actually should have saw. Because harvest don't come in minutes or seconds or even sometimes days. Harvest takes weeks, months, seasons, and years to come in. And some of you, you've been trying so hard, and you're like, I'm done. Here's what God's saying to you. Don't give up. Why? God is not mocked. You can't. God's not going to be mocked. He has said what you reap is what you have sown, and what you sow is what you reap, and God's not mocked. It's going to happen. You can take it to the bank. It's a promise of God. But my motivation for being good and doing good is not so that I can go to heaven. And neither should it be yours. My motivation for doing good, for following the Word of God and following the Spirit of God and investing in the kingdom of God is because Jesus Christ invested in me. Just think about that. Jesus is not a day trader. If so, we'd all be in hell. I mean, you think about this. If Jesus was only going to invest in us for quick returns, huh? If Jesus was only going to invest with us, in us so that he could get a huge ROI rate on investment, we would be completely discarded. What Jesus did is he didn't day trade to get us, he invested his life to get us. He gave his life to save you and I so that one day in heaven he will see the full reward for his suffering, that he will know that his investment made an eternal difference. And don't you want to know that for your life, as much as Jesus has invested in you, don't you want your life to count for something? 
Don't you want your life to make an eternal difference for the Lord? So these next four weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about how not to be a self-absorbed, flaky day trader, but we're going to be talking about how to be a spirit-filled, Christ-exalting investor in the kingdom of God. But listen, I'll end with this. We cannot do anything about today's harvest, but we can change tomorrow's. After the first service, a guy came to me and he says, Pastor, that spoke to me. Spoke to me. He said, because for years of my life, I have sown bad and I'm reaping bad because of bad decisions in my life. But he says, what gave me hope is this, is that I can change today. See, we can't change what happens today, but what we can do is we can change what happens tomorrow. If you're going through a bad harvest of marital difficulties, financial problems, unhappiness, relationship issues, or all the above, here's the good news. God will forgive you. If you run to Him, the Bible says that He'll forgive you of your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. If you repent and turn to Him and say, God, I'm living where I'm living because I've done what I've done, but God, I know that in you there's a new beginning. And I come to you. And I repent. He'll change your life. It changed your destiny. There's an old proverb that says this. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. Do you know what the best next time is? Today. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, but the next best time is today. And listen, you can't go back and change your past, but what you can do is ask God to forgive you of your past and move on. And sow the good seed so that in time you'll have a good harvest. Don't be a day trader. Don't just live for the now. Don't just live for you. Live for God. Live for the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So if you're here today and you're depressed and you think that life is over, no, as long as you're alive, there's hope. As long as God is alive, you always have hope. So put your faith and trust in Him. So I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, if you need to do business with God, if you need to ask God to forgive you, if you need to ask God to save you, if you need to ask God to give you strength to sow the good seed, maybe that good seed is being baptized, taking that next step. It doesn't save you, but it shows the world you are saved. Or maybe that next step is I want to be involved in a community group. I want to be involved in, uh, in a small group. I want to learn more about things of God. I need somebody in my life to be my accountability partner. Or maybe you want to join this church because you believe in what God is doing in this church then I want to give you an opportunity. I'm going to pray. When I'm done praying, I'm going to give you a phone number. You can, you can type in. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you that number right now. It's 407-338-4024. 407-338-4024. And you can just put on there that you want to make it a next step. And maybe that's salvation or baptism or serving or whatever that is. Just put your name and put that in. And I'm going to be praying right now. So everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. And if you need to get on your phone and text to that number, go ahead. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the foolishness of preaching that people get saved. And God, through the stammering and the stammering and the blabbering of all these things, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit's had free course to move how he wants to move. Father, we love you. We praise you. And God, I pray right now, if there's anyone that doesn't know you're saved, that in this moment, your Holy Spirit would move in their life and maybe they would pray a prayer like this, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've not met your standards. I've lived for myself. But today I give you my life. And I want to live for you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that he rose from the dead. And today, this very day, I turn my whole life over to you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed and trust Christ or you want to make a next step, please text to that number, 407-338-4024. Take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.com.